Welcome to the Gay Men Going Deeper podcast. I am your host today, Matt Lancedale, and this is a podcast by the Gay Men's Brotherhood, where we talk about everything personal development. I am joined by two amazing brothers, directly from the Brotherhood. Um, we have Stephen and we have Arno. Welcome. Welcome. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you guys for, for coming. We're, today we're going to be unpacking HIV stigma. We're going to be talking about how um, the stigmatization of HIV in our community is impacting people um, in a very profound way. And we're going to talk a little bit about how um, the introduction of PrEP, how that's impacted the, the, um, the way that people are connecting in, in the gay community. And uh, I want to hear from you guys, some of your, your personal stories, and um, we'll maybe start there. So... Um, yeah, why don't whoever wants to share first, we'll just maybe start with just some intros, a um, little bit about yourself. Um, we'll go from there. Well, first of all, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Stephen, for uh, letting me participate, first and foremost. And uh, yeah, so I'm Arnout, uh, last name Book, also known as Papa Bear. And uh, if you're French, you can call me Arnaud. Uh, it's just as much my name as it is Arnout. So but yeah, born and raised in the Netherlands and uh, came over to Canada uh, just as a teen, just to explore some university and decided it was a good place to call home. And I now call Canada home for the last 33 years, I guess, so quite a while. And uh, just in my transition from Alberta, either back to BC or uh, transitioning over to Berlin. So right on. Welcome. And I'm Stephen Band, and I live in Atlanta, Georgia, in the U.S. I'm born in Boston, raised in New York, and I originally came to Atlanta for college and pretty much been here ever since, except for five years back in New York and Manhattan. Love it here. It's a great city. So I had yeah. good times in Atlanta. So. Ah. ATF. Yeah. You'll have to come back and visit. Thank you. Cool. Well, thank you for introducing yourselves. Um, so we want to unpack a little bit about um, your guys' stories specifically relating to HIV. And um, so do you want to, do you guys want to just describe a little bit about your, your status, how you came to find out about your status, um, whatever you feel comfortable disclosing with, with the listeners to give it, we can just set some context. Um, so they can understand kind of what you've been through and where you're at now as far as your relationship um, to your status. And we'll open it up from there. Awesome. Um, so I'm very fortunate that I got introduced to HIV and AIDS education quite young, uh, growing up in the Netherlands. Um, we have a very active and proactive community throughout the country that really has a strong sense of, you know, condom advising and safe sex advising and just really, you know, eliminating any stigma around sex uh, just as a culture. So HIV is just part of that conversation. Um, my conversation was starting with just still even calling it AIDS. So I was very fortunate enough that I was able to step into kind of a volunteer situation locally to what they called the pink police. And so we would go around the streets of Amsterdam and Rotterdam and all dressed in hot pink and, very, and just, you know, throwing condoms in anybody's face that would want them. 
and whatever that looked like. Sometimes it created a conversation between pairings, sometimes just in a group of, you know, men and women, because, you know, we, we recognize that HIV is not just a gay man's issue. So, you know, we were well-versed and was well-involved. And that kind of carried on into my transition into Canada. So I was always on, as they say, the other side of the desk. And so, yeah, I was kind of known as the condom princess, you know, like I, I was the first to, you know, have a condom for me as well as my partner in that sense where, you know, whether it was a one night stand or it was an actual relationship, I was the first to bring the condom into the conversation. So to find out years later that a already abusive partner was um, willingly breaking the guard within my condoms um, by poking holes through my condoms um, and therefore creating a secretion from his anal gland back to, over to my penis throughout our penetration, that it's, uh, it, it, it definitely changed perspective and it definitely changed to, you know, how I looked at things, not just as an advocate and a, and a person that, that cared to all of a sudden being the patient. And so I definitely had my moments of anger. I had my moments of fear. I had my moments of not knowing. And besides all that, they're trying to throw 11 pills down my throat uh, daily to say, this will make you better. And so because of generation, it was still the generation of AZT, uh, which we now know from all our HIV education and awareness that AZT is probably one of the worst things you could throw into your system, um, not just physically, but also mentally. So with that became this whole thing of, okay, what can I do differently? And how can I be even more of a voice? So I've always been, yeah, I don't know, kind of that poster child now going forward. And I've actually put it into part of my kind of approach to how I provide my employment as well. I'm a healthcare provider. So I really provide a lot of education and awareness, but because of having a comfortability of being in front of audience, I'm the first to stand up and say, Hey, you know, it can happen to anyone at any circumstance, but this is also how HIV can look, you know, being healthy, being active, you know, being, you know, just really like forthright with your word your expression. So yeah, so definitely I'm a, I'm a face and a, and a name in a crowd within the HIV community, both on a local level, but also international, because as I sit on various councils as well, just to, yeah, provide voice and, and, and advocacy, so and so forth. But it definitely was a shift, right? It was a shift because here's Mr. Proactive, Mr. You know, condom princess, you know, it was well known to be that to then all of a sudden be the other side of the desk was really, transitional and really expanded to just even more of my myself and my own vulnerabilities and what I speak to and yeah I think that now I have no shame attached to it and I'm the first to have the conversation with a lover or a one-night stand whatever it may be but I also trust that it's not only just my responsibility so having forums like this and having discussions like this really creates more awareness even still and more education which I think we still need to be in, especially considering environments or circumstance or community or religion or whatever you may be part of that limits to the chance to express or to be open or to be even openly out as a positive person. So, mm. so for me, um, I came out when I was 18 
And I lived through the beginning of the AIDS crisis before it was even called AIDS. When it was called um, like gay, what was it? Gay, um, something with a G anyway. Um, I was living in Atlanta in the early eighties when the epidemic started being talked about on the news and mostly gay men were dying. And then I um, relocated back to New York and lived in Manhattan from 86 to 91. And um, it was, 90, it was 90, you know, I was working in, in New York as a massage therapist. I had a lot of clients that were HIV positive. I knew a lot of people that were very sick and dying. And so I had that direct exposure from the get-go, even before AZT was invented. <laughs> and, um, and then when AZT was invented and I saw people dropping like flies, it was, it was very overwhelming in my 20s to have to deal with that. And then um, in 1989, I decided I wanted to get tested and there, you know, that was like right before AZT was really much available. And, but before then I would call the AIDS hotline and I would say, you know, I'm interested in getting tested. And they would say, well, why do you want to get tested? I say, so I know if I'm positive or not. And they say, well, what would you do differently if you were positive? And I would say, well, I, take better care of myself and I'd eat healthier and exercise more and all that stuff. And they actually discouraged me from getting tested. They said, why don't you just do all those things? And I know myself, if I don't have to do all those things, I'm not going to do all those things. <laughs> so um, I said, I need to know, because if I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm lazy. I'm not going to do it unless I really have to. And so I was in a relationship with this guy and he didn't want to get tested. I wanted to get tested. I thought it would be great if we both got tested together. And then he went to, um, to Paris for a couple of months to visit a friend of his. And while he was away, I went and got tested. I really was expecting to find out that I was negative. And back then you went and got tested and you had to wait two weeks and come back for the results. So there was no rapid testing back then. So I waited two weeks and I went back and I remember the woman asked me, you know, what do you think the results are going to be? And I said, well, I sort of anticipated that, that I would be negative because I'm not sick. I haven't had any of the symptoms that I've seen people have and I feel healthy. And then she told me I was positive. And then like this wave came over me. I remember walking home from getting the news back to my apartment. And I felt very melancholy, very like down. And I remember getting back into my apartment. I'm sitting, looking out the window and thinking to myself, the first thought that came to my head is, why does being positive have to be so negative? And that was like a really weird thought for me to have at that time. And so immediately I sort of flipped the script on it. And I thought, you know, this doesn't have to be a death sentence. 
anyway, so one of my clients who was very sick with AIDS referred me to his doctor. I didn't even know back then about interviewing a doctor to find out if we have a good connection, like as if we were dating or something. So, you know, I went to him, he put me on AZT. He said, you know, it could take a couple of weeks before your body adjusts to it. So just keep taking it. And I took it for a week and it made me feel like a zombie. And I remember thinking to myself, I am healthy and I'm taking something that's making me feel horrible. There can't, this can't be right for me. And the one thing that I've always known and I've come to trust my gut instincts, my intuition, my intuition was screaming at me, stop taking this medication. So when I went for my next doctor's appointment, I told him I stopped. He said, if you're not gonna follow my instructions, then you can't be my patient. I thought, you're firing me? It's like, I thought it's my choice what I wanna do. So that, that was a big lesson for me to learn that I have to interview doctors and find somebody that I can respect and who's gonna respect me. And then I went and became um, a group leader at this organization in New York that did um, like support groups for HIV positive people. And so I wanted to be a group leader and, you know, I did that for about a year and then I realized I wasn't dealing with my emotions, my feelings, and I was like very overwhelmed with all the death around me. And um, I've never, never been sick or hospitalized for AIDS or HIV. And I've been living with HIV for 33 years now. I, when I left New York to move back to Atlanta, I asked the doctor that I had been seeing for a few years what he thought my prognosis was. And he says, given that you're pretty healthy now, I give you a good five years. I did not think I would live to see my 40th birthday. And I turned 60 last August. So I feel like I've been living on borrowed time for over 20 years now. <laughs> and um, I, I really feel like every day has been a gift and I've had a, quite a journey, quite a, you know, I, I had to deal with death and dying at a very young age when most people don't. And I can talk more about that later. I've had a, lot of experiences over these several years yeah yeah well thank you guys yeah thank you Stephen, for sure um yeah on a, po a personal note i think that like you described about the walk home um i just remember thinking to myself at the time going okay so like how will i even be looked at you know, how is it that the, the condom princess now has HIV, you know, and, and back then, you know, now that I have AIDS, you know, how, how, how will I even face to, to another day to, to, to put a different face to things? Because of, you know, when, you, when you're kind of known for a thing, you know, that, that can be both to your detriment, but also to your gain, right? And so, 
you know, like what was going to be the conversations going on behind me, if not in front of me, about me being this, this, this strong advocate, this strong cheerleader, you know, and, and like you, Stephen, like taking care of patients that were, you know, dying of AIDS, you know, because a lot of, you know, frontline workers weren't supporting to those, those patients. You know, I, I remember just even, even 18 years ago, arriving in Calgary, Alberta, and not having any dentists want to take me until I finally found one that did. And the fact that I had to go through that 18 years ago in Calgary, Alberta, to know that dentists would not take me for being an HIV positive man, you know, that, 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 that still scratches my head. But I think that when, when I realized like you, when I, when I surrendered to what was, I think we were just talking about that earlier and it's fitting to the sign you have behind you there, Matt, but yeah, just that, that, that surrender point and, and trusting that it, it can also gain momentum to what I do going forward really changed perspective. And like Steven, I'm also a long-term survivor. So I'm just on my 22 year year of being undetectable. So, you know, we're rocking it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, we were saying earlier, you know, the fact that every person now is going to think that, you know, the fabulous undetectable bunch of the bald headed ones. So mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> here we are. We were supposed to be joined by a mall and he has hair. So it would have been two versus two. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get him on another at another call. But uh, um, so I, I have some questions for you guys. Um, let's clarify a few things for the listeners, because you guys have used a few terms that I'm sure some people might not understand. So what's AZT? Uh, AZT is a form of medication that was provided to us back in, what would you say, Stephen, like mid-80s, 85, 86, that they started? I'm not sure what year it started, but somewhere in the late 80s. Yeah, so um, so AZT was kind of their initial comeback, their initial, yeah, their their initial try to antiviral type attack system for the okay. body. Yeah, so. And they were, they, it was the only medication at the time and they were giving really, really high doses, like 1600 milligrams a day. Wow. And that basically poisoned everybody that was taking it, that took it long-term and very few of those people survived. Hmm. Yeah. I will say I'm very much one of the fortunate ones, Um, but it was also like you, Stephen, that intuition that kicked in. Uh, besides being a medically trained person, I follow within holistic health and I do a lot of alternative health, which is how my survival rate has also increased. So I don't know if we have time to discuss even just what I've done or what you may have done, Stephen, for your successes so that people know that it's not just medication that you need to do to take care of yourself. So that sounds a great way to wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Sorry, on, Matt. We, we kind of went on the flow there. No, that's okay. I'm curious uh, for you guys to just let people know also what undetectable means. Okay. I'll be happy to, you want to go first? Well, Stephen, I'm going to say there's different numbers that America and Canada, you know, looks at for numbers. So what are your mandates in the States? I think it's under 20. Okay, perfect. Yeah, us two then. Yeah, so it's pretty much undetectable is the microbiology of how much HIV virus is still running through the individual cell. So depending on how much of the virus is sitting within the individual cell body is what determines, you know, how much viral load. So how much virus is actually in your microbiology of your cell. Okay, okay. 
And the viral load test can't really detect anything under 20 copies of whatever it is. I can't think of the name right now. But um, so basically they deem that you're undetectable and now the research has proven and this is CDC authorized um, that if you're undetectable, you're also untransmittable. Yeah, un equals N. There's a U lot of- U equals U. Yeah, hmm. so. Yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful work for sure. Yeah, and just just to follow up on that, Matt, if you don't mind, um, whenever I this might be segueing into one of your other questions, but um, whenever I meet people that are not HIV positive and they're not real knowledgeable about HIV, which surprises me in this day and age, that people haven't gotten some education on the subject. Mm. Um, so when I talk to them about being undetectable, they don't know. I say, if you want, I could send you an article from the CDC and I send it to them. I say, read this if you're interested and I'll be happy to talk to you about it afterwards. So we can talk more about that later. Yeah. Do you think it's your guys' responsibility to educate um, people? Or do you think it's other people's responsibility to educate themselves? I think it's both, actually. Um, I've definitely been in situations where I'm baffled by the lack of education uh, still, still, 2021. Um, yeah, I, I, I always, yeah, my status is openly, you know, shared uh, just because I don't I don't have a filter at the best of time, as Matt can attest to. I'm a good Dutchman that way. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, hold no bar around here. Um, but yeah, so I think for myself that, you know, it's, it's a conversation I'll have even in my disclosure. So um, if I'm online and I'm literally just looking to hook up, one, it's within my profile, but it's also like when somebody starts asking for stats. Or if I ask for stats, I actually declare my status within those stats. Mm. And then it, it leads up to them to then tell me or not. And if they don't, even if they say they're negative, I will still ask, but when was your last test? And when was your last active partner with or without a condom? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think it's both sides. And it definitely, as I'm sure Stephen can attest to, it can lead to a lot of buzzkill when you're into that heat of the moment. So my conversation happens before we're even between the sheets in that sense. But I also know that if I am in the heat of a moment, I'll be like, is there anything I should know about you? Because here's what you should know about me. Yeah. And that kind of lets the burden kind of fall on that man to go, okay, like, what do I know or what don't I know? And yeah. how much do I know? So. Yeah. And what are you, what's your varying degree of responses that you get when you disclose to people? <laughs> go ahead, you go first. Okay. Well, I, I've, I've had the gamut. You know, I have people tell me, like, they're like, they can't deal with it, but that's not the most recent responses. I've been getting the opposite response the last year or two where people will say, oh, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. And they might not be so educated about the undetectable thing. So I'll talk to them about them, send them that article, talk, discuss it if they want after they read it. And they usually say, oh, I'm fine about it. And then I never hear from them again. Hmm. So I think people are not comfortable 
honest about how they really feel, like they don't want to hurt my feelings. And I think I'd rather you tell me that you can't deal with it than think that you can deal with it. And then you just ghost me. And then I'm like, what happened? Mm -hmm. And I, I would say I've had the same kind of responses in that sense. And I will say like the, 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 the unawareness is, is so ever prevalent. Like just this whole kind of like, well, it won't happen to me or, well, I'm fine now because I take prep. You know, and, and, and I think that's something that, that is so often there where, you know, it's, it's like, okay, yeah, that's cool. That's great. And, and my reference point is actually local, which is Katie, uh, which is a Canadian AIDS information technology program. Mm -hmm. And we, we have a whole, yeah, over in Ottawa, Ontario, like we, uh, yeah, we, we have a whole panel and we have a whole, yeah, institute that, that provides education and awareness and all that stuff. So it's, um but it's also comes with kind of this whole like, okay, yeah, I'm fine. But what does fine mean to you? And, and, and going into the deep, deeper levels of stuff is usually where I lose them. Because, you know, it's like, okay, well, I was just hoping to hook up. Okay, fair. But then it's like, okay, but then you are putting yourself into more danger then by just wanting to hook up without actually knowing with who you're hooking up with. And that goes beyond HIV. That goes for any STI, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I've had lots of guys um, tell me that they appreciate the fact that I've told them and was honest with them. And I say to them, you know, you're probably safer having sex with me than with somebody else because you know what you're getting here and I am undetectable. I said, you didn't even ask me the question. So I volunteered it. A lot of guys don't ask and they I, I have had situations a few years back where I didn't want to tell people when I first met them because I want to get to know me first and I'm not my HIV. It's just something that I have, like if I had diabetes. So I wanted to get to know them first, let them get to know me. And then when I tell them that, obviously prior to having sex, um, I want them to be able to make the decision knowing if they even like me or not at that point. Um, if I tell you the first time we're talking, then you don't even know if you like me then. Mm. And so when I tell people, a lot of guys lie to you, or they might not even know their status. Maybe the last time they got tested, they were negative and they haven't gotten tested in a long time. So they can say they're negative, but they could be positive every anytime after that. So I said, you know, you, you really need to always assume everybody's positive even if they're not yeah well said Stephen. i i totally can mirror to what you say about the whole like you know assume somebody's positive if they don't know in that sense because i think too like um there's a lot of uh awareness within just kind of where you know where i am right now where in alberta there's a real kind of stigma around what that may look like and there's a lot of people that won't actually go get tested mm -hmm. let alone care to, to, to know status either way kind of thing. But the other side note to it as well is that what I found very interesting and it just speaks to how you, you tell partners later kind of thing. I had one situation where a guy came back to me like two years later, if not like, yeah, let's say anywhere from like a year to two years later, I don't remember the details of that, but I knew it was well past where like it became this 
belligerent attitude that I had given him HIV and it was all my fault. And I have now given it to him and he's going to hold me responsible, whatever that looks like. And I said to him, I said, well, first of all, knowing who you are and knowing who I am, I wouldn't have not gone for, you know, an expedition without putting my raincoat on. So, you know, I know myself well enough that I wouldn't go exploring that unless we've been together for a long time and we know where we're both at and I know you and you know me that changes the whole dynamic as you go into relationships as well. But to then say further to that, not only do I know that I had my raincoat on, but second of all, I also know that I declare to you and I also open up to my status to you. So who didn't? And that, that was something that stumped him. And I can tell from like, you know, from that too, that it's a bit of a pushback as somebody who is negative to say, yeah, like, okay, great. If you now are, and great that you now have that awareness and what are you doing with it? But why are you putting the blame on the person that disclosed to you? Right. And that's something that's not really talked about sometimes. Right. So it's easier to blame the person that's honest than not knowing to where it came from. Yeah. Like, I know the, 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 the perpetrator that attacked onto me. Like, I mean, that that's very rare. Most people don't will never know who they got their HIV from because of just all the promiscuity, excuse me, that comes into our community. So the fact that I know the partner, because I knew he was paused and I knew that he was very much, you know, not doing well health-wise, you know, put me into a danger group I recognized to that. Hence why the condoms were always present. Hmm. Hence why we were always proactive in our safe sex practices, because I didn't want to discount our relationship just because of his status but then that was the only person I was with. So where else would have I come from in that sense? So. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I, well, the, the primary purpose of the brotherhood, one of them is to move from shame into authenticity, right? Uh, we talk a lot about shame and I'm curious because anything that, that, that carries the label of stigma, right? There's always potential for shame to be present because obviously if there's certain things that society has rejected about it, then it's likely that we internalize those things for ourselves. What is your relationship with shame when it comes to your status? Maybe past and present and maybe how you've kind of shifted that if you have or where you're at with it i would just love to learn a little bit more about that when i um first found out that i was positive when i was living in in manhattan um and my family's all up in that area so i was able to have them in my life a lot than i do living in atlanta um I, I told my both my parents first because I felt comfortable at that time with them to share that with them. I was a little reluctant to tell my brother and my sister because they had just gotten married and they were just starting to like have kids. And I didn't want them to like freak out about me being around my niece and nephews when they started being born. Mm. So I was a little reluctant about that. Um, if there was a, it was more fear at that point than shame. And um, I guess the, the shame came later because when you hear people in the gay community talk about, you know, they're clean, I don't want to be with anybody who's dirty, referring to somebody who's HIV positive is dirty mm. is shaming. And um, 
being younger at the time, I wasn't prepared to deal with that level of confrontation. And so I, I think I, um, I internalized that back then, which I don't do now. Um, my sister, who's a registered nurse, I thought would have been the most accepting of it being in the medical profession she was the one that I had the most difficult time with. And even to this day, she's still very like germ phobic about a lot of things. And, you know, when I would go and visit and I'd stay overnight at her house, she wouldn't even let me stay in like one of her empty beds. She would blow up an air mattress and let me sleep like in the living room or the den on the floor and an air mattress. And, um, you know, she was, she's, she's been to my house here in Atlanta before, but, um, back in 2015, I was having shoulder surgery. She volunteered to come and stay with me for a week to take care of me after I had my surgery. And then she backed out on me without telling me until the last minute. And, the reason she told me she didn't feel comfortable is because she didn't want to stay in a bed where people that were HIV positive slept in. And I said, nobody has slept in that mattress in years. And the sheets are going to be changed. The mattress is not infected. And I just like that really damaged my relationship with my sister because I haven't been able to get past that with her since. Um, I, I felt the most judgment and the most shaming of her and we used to be best friends and now um, the relationship is, is very different now. Thank you, Stephen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes me emotional just hearing that. Well, uh, not to, to make you more sad by any means, Matt, but I can definitely mirror to that share. So, um, yeah, I, um, I realized early on in my 20s that, you know, um, my sister and I were just always different. Um, I mean, growing up, like you, Stephen, uh, my sister and I were tight. Like, we, we did the whole Legoland. We did the whole, like, you, you imagine it we were doing it together. She was always the first to stand up for me against the bullies. Uh, she was first <laughs> to beat them up if need be kind of thing. And so something shifted in our twenties where, because I may have been a little bit ahead of the game, both, you know, mentally, but also kind of in my worldly view, um, I started traveling quite young in my life and I started exploring to things in the world. So I was kind of that, that, that kind of, you know, hippie, Flying to see my back from the guy, still am in that sense. But what came out of that was a almost kind of a, a, a wall of separation where you know where she had her book smarts and she had her she had her career, she had her children now, she had her husband, she had all these things. And here I was still going, you know, luckily in long-term relationships, but I was going from partner to partner, I was living in different places, I was seen to different things. So when Christmas came around to the year that one, I came out, um, that is still to her the year that I ruined Christmas. 
um, just because my sister is a person that holds on to things. She sits in victim mentality. And so she can draw on a conversation in 1986 while I was wearing my hot pink Pumas, you know, <laughs> and, and, and she can draw to that's how I feel now. And so for her, her key elemental factors in my life and in our relationship is all the places where I ruined things or I destroyed things. So Christmas was ruined one year when I decided to come out of the closet to the family, which I waited on years for, uh, partially religion, partially just my upbringing. And two, the second time, I mean, is when I came out as being pots. And so, you know, it, it's something that has definitely, like you, Stephen, strained to somebody who I always saw as my big sister, the, the one that I knew always had my back. And as I see my parents aging, you know, it's like, you know, who do we have left? Because really it is just the four of us in Canada. So it's like, okay, for me, I will always send her love. I will always send her light. And when she receives it, she'll receive it. But unless I'm telling her about what I'm up to, she would never know. So she would never know to how healthy I am. She'll never know to how successful I am. She'll never know to, you know, the, the, the person or the persons I'm with, you know, because she's not proactively asking. And so by, by having a sister who is always an ally and always a, you know, in a sense, a cheerleader in the corner, to have that co corner be, you know, bare and to be alone is definitely a different, different place than I ever thought I'd see myself with. But I also know that fortunately I have been able to make my relationship with my parents even stronger and my chosen family that much stronger. However, it'd be nice to know that I can come through the back door with, you know, a bottle of wine at my sister's house and be like, Hey, what's going on with you? But that will, I don't foresee ever happen between us. And it's, it's, it's all because of the fact that there's a, there's a, unawareness uneducated type of mentality that it's not going to affect me so therefore i don't need to worry about it and therefore why should i let this situation affect me either so mm. i find that really fascinating you guys <laughs> i was not expecting either of those answers to be completely honest that you that the, the core of of my question was answered within familial system within family system i thought it would be more gay community to be honest um, but yeah, thank you for sharing those stories. Cause that's really powerful. Um, we... well, I will speak to what you ask of when it comes to community. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, within my own kind of, you know, figuring out where I fit and where I belong. Um, I can't say that I honestly feel like I belong in a queer collective here in Calgary. I'm very frank about that. I know we have a lot of queer followers within Calgary and a lot of them know me and a lot of people are aware of who I am. Hmm. Um, I'm good facing the crowd, but they don't really know me. You know, there, there's, there's been time where we've had like, you know, the Eagle had their reunion at one point or the Backlot had their reunion or whatever else. And there's still people that will ask me, well, you know, how's counseling? Like how are the kids not even knowing that I'm now a medical practitioner? Like it's mm -hmm. just, it's mind blowing how many people will know to you without knowing to you and HIV is one of those things too where you know it, it, it becomes yeah you're that face that's also known for that mm -hmm. but never asking the questions of you know where are you how is your health are you well like how are your numbers which is a typical question that 
you'll find between positive people will ask themselves, how are your numbers? What, where are you at? How are you doing? Kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, and yeah. yeah, it's, 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 it's odd to me to, to find a collective that, that actually doesn't support to collective. And, and I mean, we, we just have to turn to social media to see the clashes between, you know, different members in different groups. But the fact that we have homophobia within our own gay community, mm-hmm. that in itself is already a stigma. And then you add HIV into the mix, it becomes even a weirder bridge to try to connect. Yeah. I can speak to that as well. Mm. You know, I made a decision a few years ago after getting feedback from people that they'd rather I let them know sooner than later. So I just decided, yeah, why, why waste my time getting to know somebody if it's just going to be even more hurtful after they know my status that they can't deal with it. So I figure I usually tell people sometimes when we talk over the phone before we even meet in person, if I meet them online first. And um, I... It brings up a lot of anxiety for me. And Matt, you and I have talked about anxiety thing many mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. So whenever I meet somebody new and I know I'm gonna have to divulge that information about myself, it's like, oh God, I gotta deal with this again. Cause you know, even if I don't really know the person well, there's still a level of rejection, but I know they're not rejecting me personally, Stephen they're rejecting this information that scares them or they just can't deal with, or they just prefer to, you know, bury their head in the sand, whatever their reason is. I never always know what their reason is. I just know that um, I have to do my due diligence and I wish I didn't have to. I wish this wasn't um, my part of my story this lifetime, but it's part of my story this lifetime and for the rest of my life. If I want to date and meet people romantically, um, I'm not in the hookup scene anymore. So I, I'm only looking to meet people to develop a, some level of intimacy. And if we connect on that level and we can date, you know, it's gonna be a while before we're gonna have sex. But I want them to know up front, this is part of my story. And um, if that's going to be an issue for them, then it's unfortunate. But I would say more times it becomes a barrier than not. Mm. And yeah, I will like follow that up with exactly that, that, that sentiment as well is that, you know, I, I'm like you in the sense that you know, I'm at the age now as well that, you know, that really, you know, the, 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 the quote unquote one night stand is so far, far between mm-hmm. that I seek more substance and I seek, you know, stability in that sense. Um, that being said, I do find myself kind of checking into a profile, not, not just to see if they took the time to write something, but also to see if that they're declaring status or not. And I find myself kind of more, open to start a conversation with a fellow positive man than not because it's one less barrier that you kind of have to contend with um and also there's a there's a duality and there's a commonality 
that's really refreshing. So, so I know for myself, you know, though I may not identify necessarily within my gay community, the community I do identify with is all inclusive, all inviting, all being. And that includes your sexual health and that includes the diversity that we all come with. And so that has definitely changed to the kind of men I'm meeting and the, the kind of partners I'm attracting. But I will say, if I'm going on the typical, let's say the scruff platform or whatever else, one, my status is declared. And second of all, I find myself approaching a conversation with the guy that has declared his status as, as well then. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you do that, but. I've had two long-term relationships, both four years each. They were both negative. They were both comfortable with my being positive and they never zero converted. And this is back in the nineties when we didn't have undetectable viral load testing. And there weren't a lot of the medications then that there are now. So, um, It's funny because back then I wasn't even thinking about it as much <laughs> and being single now, it's more of an issue, but um, I, I was fortunate back then to have two long-term relationships. I had one relationship for two years with somebody that was positive and I can't make that be the important connector. You know, people would say to me, well, why don't you just meet other positive people? And I was like, yeah, but there's so many other factors that are more important to me in a relationship than whether we're both positive or not. If that happens to be the case, that's great. But that's like not a factor that I'm going to base a relationship on. Well said, for sure. Yeah, I was very fortunate out of when I came out of my you know, my abusive relationship, one, I gave myself two years to, yeah, kind of figure out my head game again, to come back to, you know, knowing about deservability and worth, like, my, my attitude around my own worthiness and all that stuff that came to play. But when I did come back into the dating scene, I was very fortunate to find a partner that was negative as well, who I actually was with for 11 years. So yeah, so yeah, and, and he never converted either in all the time we were together. So yeah, so I can definitely speak to how, yeah, it, it can work to your, your benefit to know somebody has a duality, but it's, yeah, like you, it's not the, it's not the underbelly that I need to, that needs to be in, in duality in that sense. Mm. But I want to do one real quick thing, Matt, before you go to our, our next bit. Mm -hmm. I just want to ask you, Stephen, when you were part of those groups, was that back with the late Louise Hay? Um, yeah, she was around back then, but the groups weren't with her specifically. Okay. I, you know, I, I, there was, there was an AIDS organization in Manhattan at the time that were doing, um, I think it was through the gay men's health crisis in Manhattan and they were doing support groups for people that were HIV because it was so rampant in Manhattan back then. And, um, when I was living in Manhattan, Marianne Williamson was doing lectures on A Course in Miracles, and she would come every month to Town Hall in Manhattan. And so I would go listen to her, and the you know the Town Hall is like holds like a thousand people and it'd be standing room only. And I, I finally got to meet her at a, 
a conference I was at two years ago, three year, two, three years ago. And I have this video of our interacting with each other. A friend of mine videotaped our talking with each other. So yeah. Well, that the reason that I asked that, so I don't know if you've been scoping out a little bit of my Facebook yet. I'm not very good at Facebook myself, but I think you did some of your friend requests. But the reason I asked that is that I've been working with Hay House, you know, actively as an employee uh, for, yeah, about five years now. Um, but before that, I was actively involved with Louise. Louise was one of my mentors and one of my teachers. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm in that caliber of of group forum and, and I'm well versed to what she started with. Right. And yeah, so I was just curious if, if ever that may have been in alignment where the paths could have crossed, so. Definitely, because I was friends with a lot of people that were more actively involved with her and I read some of her books and I would listen to her tapes and yeah. Okay, sorry, Matt, I just, no, I, 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 had I did want to forget to ask about <laughs> No, it's all good. It's all good. Um, so the next question I was curious about from you guys is how prep, the introduction of prep on the gay scene, how has that impacted um, the gay community, you, HIV stigma? How does that play? How does that play a role? Yeah, that's a giant bomb. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pick that up like right away because I really want to speak to that. So I'm glad you asked. Yeah. So my thing is that prep has almost for me at least made it worse wow okay um yeah there seems to be this oh well i'm on prep so i'm okay kind of thing um it totally just like eliminates the the other stis in a sense it's like okay well i'm on prep so it's fine yeah and you know i know from being in the medical field that i know how much the stis are running rapid it doesn't matter if you're looking at the states if you're looking in canada throughout europe stis are once again on an upswing yeah pandemic didn't help with that by any means uh but that being said what i've noticed is that it's almost this like oh well i'm on prep so i'm okay kind of thing like oh i'll be fine kind of thing and so it it, it almost eliminated you know this need for 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 being more informed like about hiv or being informed about just different statuses and being informed about different things because you're on prep does not necessarily mean that you cannot get diagnosed. And a yeah. lot of men and women don't know that because what we've discovered is that there, as much as you're introducing a microbiology into the system to then, you know, create a natural yeah, attack system, you're still can be attacked. And that's when your prep would potentially help with that and help fight for that. But that doesn't mean that the virus didn't come into your system. Okay. Yeah. And that's so misinformed. And I will say like the other factor that I get frustrated with as well is the fact that there's not enough know-how for a lot of these individuals that are taking prep of the side effects. And I can speak from both, you know, uh, from a lover's standpoint, as well as from patients that a lot of people don't know the after effect of when you decide to take prep because it's just assumed that that is part of just your side effect of taking prep. And it's like, okay, so you're okay with that, knowing that that might be a possibility. And some don't even know that some of these things can come up. So such as, such as what, what, uh... uh, so the biggest one is like a lot of that, that, that mental haze that we talked about that Steven and I went through back in the day with our early medications, uh, just that, that, that constant, yeah, just, just disorientation kind of thing. 
a neuropathy is one that seems to be showing up for a lot of people, which is kind of that loss of feeling that kind of falling asleep of your feet, uh, your digits and so forth. And then uh, just a lot of kidney kind of health, lots of around kidney health that's not necessarily explored to or discovered to, and the combinations of adding, you know, party play pills or adding like alcohol to prep. A lot of that stuff is not even spoken to. Mm. So for sure. What about you, Steve? For me, um, the, the, the thing that comes to my mind that I want to say about prep is I think people that are on prep still would rather be like ignorance is bliss. It's like they, it, it seems like they feel if I'm on prep, I don't even have to know if you're positive or not. And if I, if they know that you're positive, I think it's a turnoff for them. That's been my experience. My experience has been that, you know, when I tell guys that I'm positive, then they get uncomfortable or they're something in their mind shuts up, shuts down on them and they just can't deal with it. So it's like, sometimes I feel like, well, if I'm undetectable, I don't really need to tell them anymore. <laughs> do you legally or, or do you not? I don't know. Do you know? Uh, legally, yeah, legally, we still have to declare status in Canada. Um, I think the same applies for the states, um, just because the fact that it, it creates a legality of consequence without declaration, yeah. is what they call it. So yeah, so um, I know in Canada, I, I can't speak to the states, but I'm, I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. that, you know, within the states, we have that as well. I know in Europe, like it's a little bit more lax in some parts, but not in others. So so, you know, when, when people say, oh, you seem like such a great guy. Why are you single? <laughs> First of all, I don't have to be in a relationship to be whole and complete. I used to think that way when I was younger. Amen. I, yeah. Amen, brother. For I sure. generate my own happiness. I used to be in relationships because I thought it was your responsibility to make me happy. That was a big mistake. Mm -hmm. And when I, I'm a, I'm a mental health therapist. So when, when people tell me that they want to be in a relationship so they can be happy because they'll never be happy being single, I have to have like a come to Jesus conversation with them on that because <laughs> that is just, you know, that's a big mistake. Um, Anyway, I, I feel like, yes, I'm always going to be honest about my HIV status, usually up front, but definitely before we have sex. And um, I, maybe I haven't always been perfect about that back in the day, um, but that's something that I'm pretty adamant about mm. at this point in my life. Yeah, that's good. And I'm going to just follow that up with one quick side note as well, is that I think that the, the once again, that unawareness, because, you know, what's interesting is that a lot of what I've seen of, of these, these individuals that choose to take prep, it's almost kind of a, you know, it, it, it's almost now that now everything will be fine. And now everything will be good. And now I don't need to worry about who is and who isn't and whatever else. Mm. And it becomes even more of a, excuse my language, but like a clusterfuck of conversation because without the actual, yeah, without the actual dialogue around 
all of the things and all of the factors from a positive negative situation, positive prep, like, you know, HIV, like antibiotic medication or not, like it just changes all the dynamics in the sense where are you aware of this? Are you aware of that? Do you know what that looks like? Do you know what you can and cannot do? So, yeah, so for sure. It's a real buzzkill when you're trying to be romantic with somebody and then you wind up having to be their educator. Yeah. Yeah, I was speaking about that earlier, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why it's so important to take it slow. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try and draw parallels between me and you guys, but I do, I'm, I'm resonating being demisexual and having to take it really slow and having to educate people on what feels good for my body. And I think sexual boundaries are really fascinating in the sense that we think that they're buzzkills uh, or that we're having to pause and, and, and share with, with people what we want and what's important for us. But it's so crucial. It's 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 really important. I'm learning that as I get older, that it's really important to disclose and expose ourselves, our truth, whatever that is, whether that's HIV status or your sexual preferences or for people that are trans, it could be that, like whatever it is. I just think it's so crucial that we're leading with our yeah. authenticity yeah. and putting putting our fear of rejection on the back burner and just really leading with what makes us feel good. Right. Um, it's easier said than done, right? I, I totally get that. But, and that brings me into the next question. Um, so how can we start to unpack the conditioning? Because I'm, I'm relating to growing up and I, when I was probably 13, I remember I was really struggling with being gay. And I remember hearing on different movies and on the news that gay men have AIDS. And I thought that if I had sex with a gay man, I would get AIDS. Not that he had AIDS. I just thought that the actual sex caused AIDS, <laughs> right? As a 13 year old boy, that's what I believed. And that's what the media was teaching me. And I'm a firm believer that we can unpack our conditioning, but I believe that there's still stuff, still debris that hap that floats around in there. So there's probably a part of me that, that has a fear around this. So how can we start to unpack as a society, as a community and as an individual are conditioning around what it means to be HIV positive. Do you guys have any tips or pointers because you guys have made through, made it through that transition where you contracted, you had to come to a, a, a place of acceptance, maybe move through some shame, whatever you guys have shared a few, some stories here. What can, what can people that aren't HIV positive, how can they start to unpack their fears and biases around what it, um, what it means to have HIV? get tested <laughs> yeah get, you know honestly like it's a it sounds very simple to start it that way but i think like if if people took even the stigma away from getting tested just like we're now seeing with like with all this covid19 stuff is that there's no shame to actually know to what's going on for yourself yeah not with everything that that goes beyond the gamut of hiv you know because like a lot of people that are carrying an sti won't know that they're carrying it unless they've kind of potentially shown some signs or symptoms. Yeah. So I think if we take the stigma out of one, knowing status and two, to get tested and to find out to, to their betterment of health, yeah. then it may, you know, cross that bridge a little easier in that sense where it's almost kind of just like we're, we're finding that, you know, by having an awareness is one thing but it's knowing the awareness and what that looks like for another could really distinguish to how the conversations go, you know, yeah. before, after bed, you know, like in that sense. So, yeah, no, exactly. 
and I think that's really important. Testing is important. And I think a, a part of what I'm trying to get at is how can we start to break down the walls and barriers between people who oh, aren't, sorry. who aren't HIV positive and who are, and so that the, the judgments and the rejection and this can stop because these people just aren't educated. They don't really understand. So the, the conditioning can, can be unpacked through education, I think is one way, but I'm just wondering if there's any other ways that you guys can see that a conditioning can be um, unraveled. One thing that we didn't bring up yet is um, bug chasers. Bug chasers. Okay, I don't know what that is. So this might not be as prevalent these days as it was back in in past years. Um, But there were people that wanted to have sex, unprotected sex with positive people that were HIV positive. They wanted to, it was like playing Russian roulette. I don't know if they just had really low self-esteem, they had a death wish, or they just felt guilty not being HIV positive, being a gay man. I, I don't understand it. And when people told me that they, that's what they wanted, that scared me. So I wouldn't engage with anybody that approached me that way. Um, and. I had one incident in one of the four years relationships that I was in and he was negative and he went and got tested while we were together and they called him from the doctor's office and told him that he was positive. And when he told me that he was positive, I felt horrible for 24 hours until they called him back and said he made a mistake and it was somebody else test result oh my god i was like how could you do that 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 was like it happened it happens so often you know i know i know so i just on the side note on the chasers thank you for bringing that up steven because it's not really well talked about and i will say not that i've seen as of the last 10 years but i think there's something to be said of the fact that it has occurred to some of my people that i've supported through advocacy so yeah so it still does occur not merely as rampant as maybe you and I had seen it back in the nineties, but it definitely, yeah, it still is there, unfortunately. And it still seems to be something that's going on. Mm. So yeah, thank you for, for putting that, that, that conversation into play for sure. Mm. Uh, You know, but getting back to your original question, Matt, I don't know if there's a direct answer to how to unpack this for the community. Because I think everybody needs to take personal responsibility for educating themselves. If they know they're having sex with gay men and they know that HIV is a big part of the gay community, I mean, yeah, you can you can make an effort to only have sex with people that are negative, but people do lie to people. Mm-hmm. And so they really need to... Um, educate themselves. People get on prep thinking that's the answer. And I don't really have a lot of experience with prep since I don't have to be on prep. I I take my medications religiously on a daily basis. And um, so I keep myself undetectable, keeping my viral load below the 20 copies. And um, I, I think, you know, if people have a fear of anything, they need to confront that for themselves. I can't do that for them. Arno can't do that for them. Yeah. You can 
do that for them. Yeah, exactly. And I think part of that too, Stephen, is that I think that the, the biggest thing that you just touched on is that 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 knowing status, right? Because you know, I I haven't been in BC, like British Columbia, for a while now, but I know coming into Alberta and knowing knowing status and knowing what that looked like and and having a component of you know education that I could provide for. Um, it was amazing to me how many people and how many persons would come forward with like, well, I'm negative. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, great. So when's the last time you got tested that determined that? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Or yeah, I'm negative, but I, I don't need to tell you when I got tested. That. Well, then did you like, are you actually be, like, there was very, very much a, a, a conversation that never transpired because of the fact that they actually really didn't know to status. And, and I think that still exists and I don't want to paint on one brush, but I will say from all the places that I've lived and I've lived more places in Canada than most Canadians have visited in all places I've lived, it's been predominantly here where there is no, there is no conversation. There is no, no, no facilitation that that happens to but I will say for somebody who does also provide sex education now to children and youth, it is now in their sex education packages. Yeah, okay. And it is now being discussed around, it's no longer just the condom on the wooden dildo. Like it's, <laughs> or the it's, banana. A, it's a full <laughs> fledged conversation now. And yeah, that okay. seems to be really changing things as well, because in those same conversations, we're talking about trans, we're talking about this, we're talking about that. So it has opened up more so within our student body. However, within the actual communities ourselves, it kind of gets lost. Hmm. And that's the sad part. There's not enough that is actually happening for us to all be in the awareness of what's going on. Yeah, I, I can relate what you just said to the COVID crisis that we're dealing with now. You know, people say, well, I got tested for COVID and I was negative. Well, the minute you walk outside getting the test, you could have breathed it in from anybody. Mm-hmm. So unless you've never had sex since you got HIV tested, that's the only way that you'll ever know that you're really still negative is if you get tested regularly. Yeah. One thing that I will encourage to whomever um, doesn't matter if it's, you know, a gay man listening or a man that sleeps with men, as we have new definitions to how we identify as things. I think it, it consistently with or without condom to get tested is so key. You know, even before my own deck, like my own, like, uh, what do you call it? Like my own diagnos- diagnosis, I was still getting tested twice a year, whether or not I was having sex or not knowing that HIV can lay dormant for years yeah. and it can take a severe flu to bring it out, or it can take a severe lung infection, or it can take just anything that compromises your immune system to all of a sudden go, Oh, red flag, red flag. There's something else going on there. Yeah. So, you know, but it, is it happening? Still not 2021, but still not. Yeah. Hmm. Or I want to start landing the plane. Woo. My ADHD will take over. And before you know it, we're going two hours. And I want to respect your guys' time. But um, one final question for each of you. Um, and that is, what do you want people to know? What's, what do you want to be the takeaway from this for people to know, um, whether it's about you or about HIV or about the community? Okay. Final thought. 
what comes to my mind is to be mindful of being respectful. Because if you're negative or you think you're negative, um, whatever your level of education about HIV and AIDS is, whether you think you're cool about it or you're not sure if you're cool about it or you're not educated about it at all, we got to stop all this stigma and all the shaming of I'm clean, you're dirty kind of conversation. That is, you know, it's like, it's like our version of the N-word. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so stop talking about clean and dirty. Just are you positive? Are you negative? That's all you need to know. And if people are undetectable, that is a real thing. And you need to re do, read the research from the CDC. I mean... It's been out for several years now. And um, it's not a death sentence like it was when I found out back in 1989. And I've never, I've never been sick with any AIDS-related illnesses. And I've had as low as 29 T cells back in the 90s. And doctors that I saw back then they were amazed that I never had any of the opportunistic infections that people were getting. And now my T cells are over 500. My viral load's been undetectable for probably 10 to 15 years. And um, it's no longer a death sentence in my mind. I know I'm, if I don't live to a ripe old age, it's probably not going to be AIDS and HIV that kills me. <laughs> get hit by a car but um you know in my reality that's not going to be the cause of my death in my reality today um i know i'm going to die we're all going to die we just don't know how and when and so i have learned to come to terms with that um i think a lot of people during the pandemic have had been forced to sort of confront their mortality in a way that I did back in my late 20s through my 30s, 40s, and 50s. And I remember um, before my grandmother died, it was probably 1990, and she died when she was 91. And we were driving in a car one day, and she was really sad because she's talking about when she looks in her address book, so many of her friends are no longer alive. And I said to her, you know what? I have that same problem and I shouldn't have this problem at my age, but I can tell you the number of close friends that I've lost in the 80s and the 90s. I don't lose that many people in the 2000s and you know, the last 15 years, I can't remember anyone dying from AIDS. Yeah. But prior to then, I've been living with this for too long. I've lived through the crisis. I've dealt with the loss. And um, I started teaching um, classes on death and dying. 
because I realized the D word was like, hush, hush. Like nobody wants to talk about death and dying. Mm. Even when you don't have AIDS. I mean, people that have cancer or any kind of life-threatening illness, they complain that they can't talk with their family members or loved ones or close friends about their fear of what they're going through because it's uncomfortable. And we need to make death and dying not a taboo subject because we're all going to die. And if we can't support each other and love each other and, and talk openly about it, then that's what makes it more taboo and more uncomfortable. And when people are on their deathbed, they struggle with that they never really had a chance to say or do the things that they've always wanted to say or do to their loved ones. And because it was something they had to be quiet about, it was not acceptable. We need to make that acceptable, even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, well said, Stephen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would share that same sentiment for sure. I think the the, the biggest thing that, you know, I, I want people to look at is that um, knowing status, whatever that status might be, whether it's COVID or it's HIV, um, knowing status will, will, will only almost set you free in a sense. It, it will allow you to, to, to really be able to move forward to an awareness for yourself but also what you're doing for yourself. And if you're already proactive in your health and you're proactive in doing what you're doing, um, I've personally chosen to combine my medication, like my antiviral medication with Chinese herbology and Chinese acupuncture. So I know for me, that's been my balance point uh, to the point where, you know, according to, to, you know, what we see within my testing, I now show up as a negative screening, uh, which is pretty powerful to say the least. So, but I'm not saying that that's the end all be all and that's what happened and that's what can happen for everybody. Um, but I think what, what's the biggest thing that, that comes out of all of this is knowing to, to yourself, whatever that may be, will, will only allow you to be even more so in your transparency going forward and will allow you to know that, you know, though it may be something unique to you, but it is uniquely you. And so tr trust that if you know to who you are and you know to where you stand within yourself, whether related to status, whether re related to your sexual preferences, your whatever it may be, it, it will just allow you to just constantly be forward with, with, with honesty and, and complete sincerity to whomever you then attract, whether that be lover, friend or otherwise. And it, it just will, will create a pathway of, of transparency that, you know, on, only those that are in a place to receive it will receive you in that sense and receive you in that light without feeling that you're always sitting in that shadow of self and never, ever illuminating to what is within yourself and within who you are so that you know that, you know, by, by, by knowing your own self and knowing to who you are related to each of your knots, it, it speaks to, you know, how you, how you interact and how you, you know, communicate with others, how you show up for others, you know, and, and that in itself will allow you to have, you know, though maybe strained relationships with siblings or friends, but to know that at least you're doing your part to be your authentic self. 
So mm. sure. Yeah. Also well said. <laughs> Um, I want to just uh, finish off by sharing that, you know, it's really important that this is my second podcast of, of doing an episode with people that I don't identify with their, um, whatever you want to call it a condition, or I did a podcast with racism in the gay community. I'm not a person of color. I'm um, HIV negative. I, I think, I just think it's important to, in order to unpack the conditioning, we have to ask questions. We have to lead with curiosity. We have to be open to hearing from our brothers who are different than us. And I think that is, that's the message that I want to leave with people is, um, lead with with curiosity it's so crucial and you never know what you're going to learn and you never know who you're going to meet and the connections you're going to have when we stop leading with these judgments that are rooted in stigma and stereotype and we can kind of start to move through some of this stuff so that's why i wanted to do this podcast today um and i am beyond grateful that you guys were willing to come on and share um very vulnerably and openly your experiences with uh, me and with, with the brothers, the people who will be listening. Um, yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Can I just say one quick thing? Of course. That, um, you know, most, most of us live with a lot of fear, fear of the unknown. And, you know, sometimes people say to me, like, why did somebody die so young? Like, why would God let that happen? And I, I say, you know, God had nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. We think that there is a guarantee that we're supposed to live to a ripe old age. Mm -hmm. Some people are meant to only be here for a short time. And we don't know what everybody's purpose is. And my point in bringing this up is to not take today for granted. Yeah. And to live each day fully because you don't know that you have five, 10, 20 more years. You might just have today. Yeah. Yeah. When you send the, 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 the celebration of the light that is shining on you every day and the fact that you were given another day to celebrate, come forth with that humility, come forth with that, like, that, that strength and knowing, mm -hmm. because yeah, it, it's, you never really never know. You know, I, I, I like you, Stephen, I've lost too many friends that I can count on more than two hands and truly when when you're when you're witness to that and you see to that it really puts your own life into perspective and where you actually fit into that because you don't know if you're going to be the next person that is going to potentially get something that could be the death of you whether mm -hmm. related to HIV or not you know and I think that through all this, like it's also made me more courageous to how I approach my day as well to know if I've overcome this then I can overcome that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so just like I shared about my abusive partner that that led to my diagnosis, that too is no longer my 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 narrative, but it definitely is part of my story. If yeah. you guys understand the difference between those two. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah, cool. Okay. Well, thank you guys. And uh, thank you people for tuning in and listening to another episode uh, Game and Going Deeper bonus episode today. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, please leave your comments and questions and thoughts and feelings below um, for Stephen or, or know if you if you want to uh, pick their brain or you just want to share where you're at in your journey, uh, please leave them there. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe and share with others. And if you haven't yet and you're listening, please come join us in the Gay Men's Brotherhood. There's over 3,000 amazing beautiful men who are just sharing their their journeys uh, together so come and join us we would love to have you there 
And again, thank you two for joining. Much love to you both. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Always nice to see your face, brother. Yeah, thank you, you too. <laughs>